0: Welcome back, Cal and listeners. This is Methodical Millions, episode 23. Cal, we talked about business breakthroughs last week, and you brought up a good topic, which is data. And I want to know what kind of effect you think data has on business culture and business valuation and growth. What do you think?
1: Data clearly has a big effect on us today already. You have a lot of these big companies that are basically paying top dollar for data. It helps companies understand your likes, your dislikes, your shopping habits, your browsing habits, and all of that because that can help them sort that data out and know who to target for what products or what services that they can provide when it comes to sales, right? So it has a huge effect. Some people might underestimate it, but I think it's going to be more and more valuable as time goes by.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's almost like each individual in this world gets monetized in some way. So if you use Google or Facebook, I guess they're the best two examples of monetized data in terms of individual profiles. And they have such accuracy that I think people have abandoned advertising in traditional spaces. So especially if you're like a SaaS company, software as a service, or something techie app related, you're not going to bother with billboards. You're not going to bother with trying to target people who don't care. You'll want to know exactly who you're talking to and serve them relevant ads, as it's called. So it's an interesting topic. I guess data is basically just the storage of information. I'm trying to think of a way to distill the definition to something simple. It starts with computers to write zeros and ones. I think the building blocks of computers work off that, and without that, you don't have much. So I think computers were a catalyst in accelerating that because prior to computers, can you think of any examples, Cal, that where data was popular? I mean, maybe accounting ledgers. What's an example of data tracking pre- internet pre-computer?
1: Very good question. I remember coming across an article stating that if you gathered all the data that you could accumulate between 1970 to 1993, which is basically just before the internet boom, the size of that data would be around 1 billion gigabytes. And as of 2014, which is six years ago the amount of data that gets collected on each day is about 5 billion gigabytes. So it shows of the magnitude of the data. And when we talk about the data that they are able to collect, we're talking absolutely everything. We're talking from what you hit like on YouTube or your social media, what you talk in your search browser, when you go shopping, what you buy, right? So if you go grocery shopping and you just buy some, food for your place, just some basic groceries. Every time they scan that item on the barcode, they can tell that there's this many people who bought this item, right? And this is how much they've spent. So they can gather that. And maybe some people think, can it be too abundant? Because how is that any good for anyone? But it is, the trick with it I think is being able to sort that data, right? So if you're looking for something, If you're thinking, okay, what does that data give me? You might think it's such a huge pool of information that it just might be not really useful. But if you're trying to sort it out based on what you're actually looking for, something specific based on the data you've collected, then it might actually turn into something and mean something. For instance, what is any use for them to know what you've scanned when you go shopping? You know, beneficial for sales, but it could be beneficial also for information with regards to the World Health Organization they know what people can eat and what people do eat and the percentage of people that have diabetes and based on what people all across the world are buying and not buying in terms of their food so they can perhaps in some way sort that information out and there's quite a lot I'd love to talk about it's very interesting I find but the more you gather the more you'll be able to understand what it can turn into They can use it even for medical purposes, right? So they can see the effect of drugs. Let's say if you're a doctor and you have patients and you see a certain symptom or certain disease that come up, and some people react to the medicine in one way and some the other way. So if you're able to gather that data, it can be useful for the entire medical field. So doctors across the globe can see the effects of maybe why people are reacting to this medicine in one way while the others don't, maybe because it's age-related, maybe because it's gender-related, maybe because it's pre-medical conditions. Maybe people who are having more stress or they have heart conditions related to certain medications in some way, they could be able to actually diagnose the correct or prescribe the right medication for you based on that data It's a world of information that can be very, very useful, not just in terms of business, but in terms of advancement, I think, of how we live.
0: Yeah, the use of data in science is undeniable. We talked about the individualized health plans and how we can use it for small businesses, but let's shift to the idea of big data and really large data sets. So. In the 80s, the biggest supercomputer was, let's say, the size of a room, and now it can fit in your pocket. So we've miniaturized computers to the point where we can store a lot more information in the same amount of space. And the advantage of that is that you can actually have a lot more storage centers. I think Google put them up all over the world, at least in the US, to store petabytes of data the advantage for science is that you can use big data sets to know if there's a correlation towards something. So, there's actually a cool company I've heard of doing something like that. So, here's the example Doctors might write 20 prescriptions a day, let's say maybe even 100, just a normal family physician. And what happens if they're having an off day or they misdiagnose, which everyone's human, even the best of us, one, who's there to? oversee an incorrect diagnosis. But number two, what if the dosage is wrong or the medicine is wrong? And I think the purpose of that company was to literally save lives. So it would measure a prescription given by a doctor against a data set of every prescription ever issued. And what happens is, let's say the quantity is off by 10x or 100x, then it would raise a flag and say, are you sure this is correct? And that's the advantage of compute power and data in this case, where it's a double check system. So the human touch is still there of making the call and overseeing, but the computer itself will say, hey, are you sure this is correct? Almost like a spell check in an email. So science is interesting. I'm not the expert on it, so I won't be able to delve too much into it, but it's all about making smarter decisions. So another example... Of big data I want to talk about. So as we get into self-driving cars, data has become the main focus. And the last time I checked, you've got Waymo, which is owned by Google. And Waymo is testing self-driving in a simulation. They are using a bunch of computers. And I think they actually use video game sims, almost like Grand Theft Auto or something to go through their use cases. And you can actually speed up and slow down time to process things faster, and cars are trained to recognize objects. And the ground-up approach is to label things. So if you ever Google self-driving car images, what computers see, you'll see these target boxes, and what happens with these boxes is computers are recognizing them, and people are manually labeling these boxes to say car, traffic light, light post, person, things like that. And this is very laborious. But I always find the best way to solve a problem is to just try. And even though it's not the best way of doing it, or the best way might not be obvious right away, it's a step in the right direction. So that's been the case for a while. And other ways to self-drive. So some companies like Cruise Automation, GM bought them, I think, for a billion dollars. They started making self-driving kits for Audi or something. And what happened was, I think they used high-level mapping. So there's a mix of computer vision, cameras, and mapping. Imagine you were driving along a road, and your car needs to know, am I going in the right direction, or is this road really a road? Normal maps will give a general sense of direction, but for self-driving, people are going to high-precision mapping. So within probably plus or minus six centimeters, I think, was the stats. So really accurate pinpoint of where your car is in order to make decisions. And one could argue that, how do you keep up with road changes? That's true. So it might also not be the best way of solving it. I actually downloaded an app, I think it was called Paver. And this was actually a open source mapping project where you can put your smartphone on the windshield. They've got that windshield holder from mine and map the world. So another way to collect data is to open source it. And instead of you just trying to do it on your own, let everyone do it. For Tesla, what they're doing is using eight cameras around the car and they've designed their own computer chip to process exactly what they're trying to do. So I think it's like a thousand times faster than their previous one, which was contracted with NVIDIA. A lot of mainstream brands will use Mobileye who have been doing this for about 20 years and they got bought by Intel and everyone's attacking this problem. So The next frontier for monopolizing a space is likely self-driving. Smartphones have come and gone. They're quite stable in terms of being a mature marketplace and mobile processing. I mean, how much better is a smartphone year over year? Not really too innovative, but self-driving cars is the next frontier. And whoever cracks that could probably unlock some huge amount of money in terms of income and revenue just based on being able to apply that technology to their fleets. And imagine a company like Walmart or UPS wants to reduce their costs. Paying drivers is probably a huge expense. How many trucks all over the country or North America? And you'll get huge cost savings. Uber is all into that. They've been in the news before. They've got those cars. I think it ran a red light, actually. So this technology is not perfect, but we're waiting to see where that goes and cal if you had to take a bet on self-driving how soon do you think we'll get it what's your opinion i
1: think we'd be done with the first phase as in fully autonomous driving would probably be 2023 maybe 2024 maybe sooner i know we're actually quite far into it especially tesla but i still think it won't be perfect but it's a work in progress What about you? Yeah.
0: I think the running joke is Elon Musk has been saying next six months to a year for the last three years. And I just want to bring up a quick point. I thought about this the other day. So when he announced the Model 3, it was slated to build 500,000 cars in 2020, pre factory, pre anything. And pretty much anyone who was in the industry, a lot of analysts as well, basically said that's impossible. And he doubled down and advanced that, I think, two years. And guess what? We're actually in 2020. He's going to deliver half a million cars. It's a mix of the Model Y 2 but both projects are profitable. So I guess the true saying is he's always late, never wrong. And I mean that in a good way to think about how his mind works, which is he's so resilient with solving problems that I don't have doubt in what he's going to do. Just timelines might be hindered by some unknowns i think his most recent timeline was this year as well by the end of the year and the idea is they're doing a lot of what's called shadow mode testing so we've talked about the cameras on the cars and the computers are going in all of them so it can be retrofitted just plugged into your car if you have bought one in the last couple of years and i think the ones off the line now actually have the updated computer but what happens is These cars teach each other and there's this huge neural network of compute power where one car will drive down a street, recognize what it's seeing and upload it to the cloud and teach every other car. So they all teach each other. I think they gather a million miles a day now based on how many cars are on the road. They're probably the leading company in terms of recorded true miles driven and that fleet's only growing. So these computers are able to read traffic cones, construction cones, garbage cans, people, motorcycles, stoplights. And there's a lot of recognition going on right now. It's not fully active, but I think that company's goal is just to flip a switch and say, okay, it's ready. And you'll get that as a software update. So the idea there is, when will that be released? If you ask Elon, he's testing it and he says it works almost fully autonomous They just want to test through it. So I think he's saying by the end of the year, I'm going to go with two years. So give him an extra year. But I don't know anyone who will release it that fast, mostly because a lot of people are trying to half solve the problem to shortcut the steps. And we didn't talk too much, but LiDAR is a very popular way to try and solve it. I think Waymo was using these LiDAR switch, which is like a laser detection system. And the problem with laser is that it's, very reflective. So as soon as you add any fog or rain or snow, it will start to reflect and bounce and you lose the spatial awareness in bad weather. So even with cars I work with, radar can see through bad weather, whereas it's tougher with vision. It's tougher with LiDAR. So radar is a huge factor. I know both Hyundai and Tesla actually will read two cars ahead. When I heard that, I thought that was really cool. So it'll bounce under the car in front of you to sense braking before the car in front of you even knows it needs to break. So the potential of self-driving to be smarter than people is the bull case here. The idea is the statistics will show less deaths per year. I think we're at 30,000 a year in the US right now. And if that drops by 10x, who would not want self-driving? Why not? It's all a bonus in my book. So we can get our time back and not have to drive My commute's about half an hour. Some do, I think, an hour, hour and a half. That would be life-changing, almost like taking your own personalized bus and you can do other things. So what do you think about artificial intelligence, Cal? Let's talk about that. A lot of people are using, I guess there's a lot of buzzwords we can unpack here. So there's machine learning and artificial intelligence. Are you a fan of where it's going? What are your thoughts?
1: I got mixed feelings about it. Overall, yes, I'm quite optimistic. I'm quite excited of the perspective of AI. I just want to touch on a couple of things you said on self-driving, just to give our listeners an idea of how much that affects us. First of all, that's very fascinating. Thanks for that, John. It was very eye-opening. And they are quite ahead of all the other manufacturers where others are doing like a peer-to-peer driving. But I just wanted to add that for those who don't realize how important that is, it's not just the fact that I'm just going to be sitting in the car and maybe doing some work while the car drives. It's the fact that they can gather that data and they can know if there is a traffic jam every day at this time on the street, then by collecting that data, they can actually know how to avoid that, reduce that, and cars can drive around it generally and avoid it and save even more time. So it is huge. Like I said, it creates more efficiency in terms of time, in terms of consumption of energy, your cars won't drive as much to get to where they need to be. So it's very, very fascinating. I just want to thank you for bringing that up. But back to AI. AI is huge. And the reason I have mixed feelings about it is the fear that AI can eventually take over and we have like a Terminator kind of scenario where robots take over the world. And in theory, that's not impossible, plausible if anything. But I came across a status that did a competition or a kind of a study where they put in a fighter pilot against AI to do a dogfight in a simulated environment. And the AI computer beat the very well-skilled fighter pilot five to none. So it just really shows you how capable that thing is, and it does it by gathering data and it can understand the behavior and it can anticipate moves, it can predict moves. It keeps learning and it teaches itself, and that's a thing it doesn't really forget because it just gathers that information. So basically everything we use today in terms of computers, phones, apps, even videos, everything is in zero and ones. That's the coding behind it. But with quantum computing, which can read advance AI even further, is not as black and white as that. So it has a bit of a gray area in the sense that it can find things in between. And quantum computing, which can actually solve a problem that would take your traditional quote-unquote supercomputer about 10,000 years to solve. And it would solve it in a matter of, I think it was one minute and a few seconds. And it's still under-testing. That's how fascinating it is and makes you wonder how much of a leap will that take us? It will learn things that we'd be years behind just to learn. So the prospects and the potential of it is huge, but it's a double-edged sword. What do you think about it?
0: Yeah, it's almost hard to wrap your mind around it. And with quantum computing, I guess there's two different states at the same time and it's not just zeros and ones. I think it's both. So the implications are in things like cryptography, every modern cryptographic code that we use to secure things like websites, banking, and passwords will likely all be solved in hacks. So I've heard that with quantum computing, they get figured out. So it will definitely be a leap forward in terms of how fast things can be solved. And The truth is I really can't comprehend what an effect it's going to have until it's here. We won't see the use case. Just like the internet took 25 years to mature and go to mobile, connect the world. It could take some time. But when it comes, I think one thing is true. Our lives will be changed forever. Just like they were with computers and how we're connected and how we consume information. All that will definitely change. Similarly, though... I'm sure we'll come up with new versions of ways to protect ourselves and people are quite creative. So there's no discounting the existential change AI and quantum computing and all that stuff will have. Speaking of your fighter pilot example, I think it was called DeepMind. There's that company, Googlebot, and they've got these iterations of their own version of AI, which is Alpha Zero, And take a game like StarCraft or... Chess or all these little games that people master and I'm talking you'll take the top 10 people in the world who play competitively, who can outsmart any person who's willing to try and spend the time, and they're on average the best at it. The thing with AI is you don't actually give it instruction. you just give it inputs, which is let's say, on a keyboard, left, right, up and down, and somehow, It'll look at the screen and learn on its own. It'll watch and learn and figure out the rules. And it's almost very sci-fi to think about. But eventually, AI tends to outperform people. And I think in one case, the AI actually played eight of the top 10 people at once and still beat them all. So it takes time. But the best way to think of it is humans are like people running on the side of a road You've got someone like Usain Bolt, who's the fastest and as fast as we can go. We're constrained to our bodies. We're constrained to a fixed amount, plus or minus. But what happens if that's a car or a plane or a spaceship or something that's way faster, can move in any direction, stop in any direction and think faster, move faster and Think of all the possibilities. So, the thing in sci fi movies where you got that crazy computer who can see everything and those kind of crazy cases, it's almost true where they can outsmart us in a lot of ways. And there is that theory of Pandora's box that once it's around, it won't go away. So, who knows what kind of form it's going to come in. But Elon Musk actually has been vocal about this in the past. And he started a company called Neuralink and OpenAI. So OpenAI had the goal of democratizing the world's AI information with the smartest people to start a council for oversight and to not hold back or control AI, but just to be smart about how we develop it and to understand the risks. Because the fundamental belief there is that once it's around, it won't go away and almost like setting a nuclear bomb metaphorically we might be heading down a wrong path. And Neuralink is his company. Amazing how many companies he's got. But the goal of Neuralink is to embed AI into people. And before you go all conspiracy on us, let's unpack this for a bit. So our brains are limited. Our hands and how we interact with the world are limited. His idea was to embed a chip into people's brains, I guess. It almost sounds very sci-fi, but the goal is to speed up how the brain processes information. And the sole purpose of that is to not be controlled or lose your individuality. It's to give us an even playing field in the event that AI does get smarter. So his theory is that either AI is smarter than every person, or there could be some nefarious person in the world who gets control of it and becomes a new superpower and enslaves the rest of humanity. So it's kind of a really out there concept. But with Neuralink, what if you could augment your reality with an attachment to make you smarter, access the world's information? So what's the analogy today? So take yourself with your smartphone and you've got your Googles, your Alexa's, your Siri. You've got your ability to look up things. I mean, I can list so many things. I've done home renovation projects learning new things like coding based off of my ability to Google stuff on the internet and watch it on YouTube. So how much smarter am I today than me 25 years ago if you took me in this moment in time and transposed me then and said, okay, here's your life. And I'd argue I'm way smarter. And my ability not to memorize, but to look up and learn things as necessary is the true superpower. So as that speeds up on its own and we can learn and look up things faster, whether it's AI in a box or it's connected to us, as long as that information is shared and not held back to a certain amount of people, I think that is truly the big unlock that could enable us to do more and be more and all that. And I guess I want to kind of wrap up that thought by saying that It all depends on your outlook in life. So what's your moral compass? What are your values, your conviction? Do you want to do good in this world? What are your goals aligned with? I think that will largely define on an individual basis what we do and how we conduct ourselves. So a good analogy is to take a pause and say, what have you done so far with all the advances in the last 25 years? Personally, I always say, be curious about the world. So Are you learning, are you growing, are you building, or are you consuming, or what do you surround your thoughts with, your time, and under the assumption that things become easier, what will you do with your life? What is the big thing you wanna do, and how will you spend your time? It's a very metaphysical question, so some deep, deep thinking into what you wanna do, but if that unlock comes, do you spend time with family, do you spend time growing a business, what is your best self look like is the answer. And it is a unique moment in time where we've talked about looking back, how important has the internet been on giving us opportunity? If that opportunity accelerates where we could do anything and be anything for basically the cost of nothing. So people spend so much money trying to save up for a car. That's going to get commoditized into self-driving, push a button, order an Uber or the analogy of whatever company becomes popular and same with a smartphone. Why do you need to spend tens of thousands of dollars on an education when you can open up YouTube? The democratization is the important takeaway here. So as long as it's open source, everyone has the opportunity in this world to learn and grow from that information, to use the AI, to use these aspects that make us all smarter. I think I'm for it. I think that is the way to think about it.
1: Yeah, it's such a dense topic. It's a great topic. I'm loving this. But it really opens up the better in us. It shows you can improve on a personal level, on a business level, by having all that data or access to that data that can really push us as a species, hopefully, to the better in the future. And because it's so powerful, that hopefully it can be put to good use for future generations.
0: Exactly. I'm taking the optimistic view on it. I think it's going to bring a lot of excitement to the world and open up the possibilities for us. So with that said, we'll wrap up today's episode. Thanks everyone for tuning in. That was Methodical Millions, episode 23. If you'd like to follow future episodes, you can find us at methodicalmillions.com or info at methodicalmillions.com for episode feedback.
1: Thanks everyone.